From KLCC Studios, this is Oregon on the Record. I'm Michael Dunn. It's hard to think of a profession more scrutinized, lionized, or demonized than that of a police officer. Because there's such a disparity in attitudes towards police and policing, and sometimes a great disparity in how cops themselves police individuals and groups, the concept and practice of police reform has never been more important. Today on Oregon on the Record, you're going to hear from two authoritative voices inside and outside the Eugene Police Department about the concept and practice of police reform, the chief of police himself, and the civilian police auditor for the city of Eugene. How do you both educate new recruits to be good cops and also retrain older officers who might have developed practices that are outdated and even dangerous? You'll hear from these two voices about how they're working to reform our police. Today on Oregon on the Record, you'll hear from two experts about the concept and practice of police reform. You'll hear from the chief of Eugene's police department about how he wants to continuously make the department better at serving the community. And you'll hear from Eugene's police auditor who uses data, video, and other tools to illustrate the right and wrong way to police with an eye toward reform and correction. First, you'll hear from Eugene's top cop about reform and how to him that often first means finding people who are great communicators and problem solvers and then teaching them how to be police officers. Eugene Police Chief Chris Skinner, thanks so much for coming in and talking to us. Well, it's always nice to be here and be able to talk about what's going on in the police department. Yeah, well, let's talk about that. You know, it's funny, you and I have talked several times and you know, we're talking about different issues and, and, and sometimes we, we come up with this, oh, we could do a whole show on police reform. Mm-hmm. Well, now it's, it, it's, it's our opportunity. So really a simple question to start. What does police reform mean to you? Well, that's a, it's a great question because uh, it means so many different things to so many different people. And so when I think about police reform, and I, I, again, I've, this is my 33rd year in, mm-hmm. law, in law enforcement. I've been doing this a long time for a lot of different jurisdictions, both in Washington State and in here in Oregon. So I've had a chance to experience uh, different communities, different types of police departments. Uh, and one of the things that I think about when I think about police reform is I think about the way it has changed over the last 33 years. I mean, okay. police has been reforming for decades. Sure. Uh, maybe not as fast as some people would like, but it's okay. definitely been reforming over the over the several um, decades that I've been doing this. Everything from the types of training that we're doing. When I started as a brand new baby cop in Philomath, Oregon, out in the <laughs> middle of nowhere, you know, the thought of, of, of being able to have the skills to deal with the mentally ill or, or uh, people that are suffering behavioral health issues was never really a part of our training curriculum. And now it's really heavily a part of our training, training curriculum, both at the academy and at the police department. So you think about reform, you think about the types of training we're giving police officers, but maybe more profoundly when I think about reform, as I think about how do we adjust how do we adjust the way we use our law enforcement professionals? For years and years and years, public safety, I'll say, has been kind of the grease trap for everything else that society doesn't have an answer for. Mm-hmm. And the people that we meet on the street that are having their worst day oftentimes have had systems their entire life fail them, whether it's the education system or the healthcare system um, or the you know the housing system. And, and we can't just continue to ask public safety to pick up those pieces. And so we think about how do we start 
reinvesting in other systems, but actually backing our law enforcement professionals away from things that they shouldn't be going to in the first place. And okay. so for me, it's really narrowing that focus. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, and you talked about your your, your long career, and, and you've also, I, I know, talked or written about this this concept of 21st century mm-hmm. policing, which, of course, your your career spans the 20th century, not sure. the whole 20th century, but I mean, you, right. you know, from, from, from when you started to now. What does that mean, 21st century policing? Well, all those pillars, you know, everybody kind of refers to that, and it was the Obama <coughs> administration, and there's there's those several pillars of 21st mm-hmm. century policing, and, and so much of that is around uh, trust and confidence in the community and mm-hmm. how we build that. It's uh, it's about accountability, um, and in some ca- cases, civilian oversight, and I think you'll have an opportunity to chat with our sure. auditor about civilian oversight and what, what that looks like here. Um, community policing, the concept of getting back to more of a community-based policing or problem-oriented policing, training and education of our officers. We want the best and brightest, well-trained. And then the wellness. The wellness piece is actually a really interesting piece that so many people forget about is that when we think about our law enforcement professionals that are out there that we're asking them to make these really split-second tough decisions, we better hope and pray um, and, and, and be intentional around their wellness and making sure that they are healthy human beings that are making these good decisions on behalf of all of us. And so that's another piece of 21st century policing. So you bundle all that together and it's a big job and it's, and it's uh, tough to, to, to stick the landing on any one of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you, you try to have a well-rounded police department in the hopes that you can, you can get more connected with your community. Got it, got it. Uh, for our listeners, I just want to remind, remind you that we're talking with Eugene Police Chief Chris Skinner and, and our show about police reform. Um, as a leader of, a, of, a, of, a, of the police, uh, you know, kind of talk about your role. I think you must have sort of two tracks because obviously you're going to be teaching new police mm-hmm. officers, brand new out of the academy. But then in some ways, maybe you're also retraining cops who've been on the beat for 20 years. I mean, yeah. what, what's that like as a leader? Yeah, it's, it, it can be tough at times. You know, it's the, the you know, the Eugene Police Department, uh, and I'm not going to have the exact numbers, but okay. based on my experience, I'll, I'll have my sixth anniversary here as the as this city's police chief. And it's been an amazing six years, a tough six years, but an amazing six mm-hmm. years. You know, I bet more than half of our police department is under five years of experience. Wow. It, we've just had a ton of turnover. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so really the, the the goal for me is to pick the right human beings to be in law enforcement. Okay. And then, and then we have, we have systems that do the training, but to have, if you find the right human beings with the right character, the good communicators, the ones that have empathy and compassion for people, um, then you, you, then you're, you're, you're better positioned to be successful because the training is the training. I've often said, I want to pick the right human beings and teach them to be good police officers. Okay. When I started in this law enforcement, in this, in this profession 33 years ago, it was almost the reverse. They were looking for people that they knew would be good police officers, regardless of kind of the character. Okay. Uh, but, but really we're looking for the right human beings and then we train them. Okay. I'm wondering, you talk about a a pretty sizable amount of turnover. Do you think that police reform adds to that? Because obviously I imagine there are some police who who maybe don't want to be part Mm -hmm. of the program. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is that that an issue or is it more just that the job of police is just harder than it used to be? Well, it's definitely harder than it used to be. I mean, both physically, politically, technologically. I mean, the the things we're asking these kids to do, and I get to call them kids because I'm going to be 57 (laughs) in a couple months, but the things we're asking these kids to do, I'm not sure I could 
do that. I'm okay. good at what I do. I, I, I feel really comfortable in my in my shoes uh, where I'm at. But when, when I see what these youngsters are doing out on the street, the, the way they have to problem solve, uh, the attention to detail, the multitasking, the communication, the, the skill set, uh, they're, they're just it's just a different different breed. And so when you think about police reform, there's it's there's this dichotomy. Really good police reform needs turnover in a police department. There's okay. no question. You need okay. new new faces. You need new uh, new personalities, new creativity, new new innovation in a police department. And as you create culture, um, and yet it's harder than ever to get those people to join sure. this profession. Sure. And so we're really really scratching and clawing for every really good candidate we can get, knowing that that's important in police reform. Sure, 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 sure. Well, and it's interesting too talking about the profession. I mean, your profession is a little different than than other professions because something that happens in Biloxi or mm-hmm. Boston could impact your officers here. And I mean, if something bad happens halfway across the country, people are going to be thinking about yeah. it. You know, how do you how do you kind of I guess both you're a good communicator. How do you communicate that that you do have ethical people who are doing the right yeah. things? But then also, how do you talk to your own troops and let them know, you know, hey, we need to respond to this or we need to un- be cognizant of yeah. it? You know, the troops un- really understand the, what the, why we need to do that. They understand that the that the the mistakes of a few can affect the many, and we understand that when things happen, they can transcend thousands of miles and land here in Eugene, Oregon. Mm-hmm. And so, our organization understands the the nuance of that and the importance of being able to address that. One of the things that I think is really, really important is that once those types of things happen, that we don't get defensive here and say, well, that's not Eugene, Oregon. Okay. That's not EPD. Okay. Um, we certainly we certainly don't want to own the behavior to the extent that, that we feel like that we take responsibility for it. But we need to acknowledge that in our profession nationwide, we have bad actors. And then we talk about the things that we do to make sure that that doesn't happen in Eugene or in, in the Eugene Police Department. This profession is not unlike we see this happening with teachers. We see this happen with certain uh, members of the clergy. Sure. I mean, there's some of those professions sure. that, that that share this kind of burden with us. Sure. But I think the, the one thing is recognizing the emotion around it yeah. and making sure that you don't answer an emotional moment for people with complete logic. You have to understand and empathize and appreciate the emotion around the the things that they're seeing happening nationwide. Chief, my last question for you is, obviously, we've talked about this. You've been doing this a long time, and, and certainly you've seen the challenges that, that existed and, and still exist. What gives you optimism about reform and, and kind of the profession? Yeah, I think what gives me optimism is when I, every, ta- every time I get to swear in a new batch of officers mm-hmm. and I get to see their families sitting in the audience and the pride that they have that their 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 children or their family members have chosen this profession it gives me optimism and i'm i can't articulate it you have to experience it you have to sit there and see how excited they are to start in this profession and how eager they are to get out there and help people that's what gives me optimism is the human beings that are choosing to be in this job because there is a lot of hope there and a lot of youth there and i think um that that puts us on a trajectory to be successful. Great. Well, Eugene Police Chief Chris Skinner, always great talking to you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Eugene has civilian oversight of its police force, and, and we're going to talk now with the city's police auditor about how that office provides oversight and accountability for the police. Leah Pitcher, the city of Eugene police auditor, thanks so much for coming in and talking to us. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, I guess let's start with this. What is the job of police auditor? <laughs> 
It's an interesting job, and it's actually different in every jurisdiction that has community oversight. So in Eugene, we're responsible for intaking classification of every complaint against an employee of the Eugene Police Department. Okay. So, so that means that we, um, we do intakes. We speak with members of the community mm-hmm. who have had a negative interaction or something that they perceived as negative. Um, they come in and talk to us, and we do a preliminary investigation. So we have really wonderful access to things like police reports. It's mm-hmm. body-worn video, um, dispatch records, all kinds of things. And so we look at the whole picture and kind of decide, okay, does this look like serious misconduct? Mm-hmm. Does this look like minor misconduct? Or is there actually a really good explanation for this? Okay, sure, <laughs> sure. Um, and then we get it classified, and um, we oversee how that complaint gets followed up by EPD. So EPD still does the... They lead the investigations um, into those complaints, but we participate with them. We collaborate with them to make sure that those investigations are thorough, fair, and complete. Mm -hmm. And then finally, at the end, we make a recommendation to the chief about how those complaints should be adjudicated. Um, We also have a hand in policy recommendations. So we make reports on trends that we see in both complaints and in policing. We watch a whole lot of videos, so we probably (laughs) see more than anybody. Um, We are actually also the only office in the whole state that does this particular type of review. Hmm. So um, if it feels, you know, we feel that way, right? We want to do this job right. And we're very few civilians actually get to watch as much uh, have as much access to video as we do. Sure. So we and you're talking about video that's p- produced by the body worn cameras. Yes. Okay. Thank yeah. you for clarifying. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, so yeah, EPD has had body worn cameras on patrol officers since I think 20 for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that's been really helpful to us. So um, we also have a hand in policy recommendations, and then we also finally, sorry, we staff the civ- civilian review board. Okay. So Eugene is very, very special in that there's actually. A lot of different ways for community to get involved in yeah. police policy reform. Um, Civilian Review Board is one of those ways. There's seven volunteers. They meet about monthly, and they get access to closed investigative files. So they sure. get to make sure that we did our job right, sure. that internal affairs did their job right. Um, and those volunteers are fantastic. Okay. They, they give a lot of time sure. to make sure that's done right. Um, well, let me uh, let me remind our, our audience that we're talking to Leah Pitcher. She is the Eugene's the city of Eugene's police auditor. Um, you know, maybe this is more of a philosophical question, but kind of, you know, talk about the importance of that interplay, that relationship between civilians and police. And without I'm not going to pin you down to historical lesson, but is that a fairly new concept or is it something that's been a part of policing for decades and decades? You mean civilians having yeah, oversight yeah. over police? Oh, that's definitely new. Okay. Um, okay. In, in my in my experience, earlier. Sure. Okay. Um. So, and I love philosophical questions. <laughs> Thank you. Hit me with them. Um. But no, uh, civilian oversight started in largely around the 1980s. Okay. Um. Is sort of when it really first came into fruition in any cities across the United States. Um. It's sort of much like policing. There's, you know, 18,000 something different police agencies across the country, and they all do things a little bit differently. Every civilian oversight agency does things a little bit differently, too. And mm-hmm. they, um, But it's definitely a growing field. Sure. So um, I'm part of NACOL, which is the National Association of Civilian Oversight of okay. Law Enforcement. And it's definitely, we had our conference in November. It's a hugely growing field. It's very popular. There's a lot of um, community activists who are asking for civilian oversight systems. So it's really, um, it's a lovely perspective to go to those conferences and know our system and how well it 
overall works, okay. right? And so be able to provide that for folks as, you know, our system is cost effective, it's effective effective, hmm. um, and here's how we implemented it, right? So here's here's how you can do it. Okay, okay. Um, I, the job of cop, I, I'm wondering too, if for, for many of us who aren't police, you know, my question to you is, so how receptive is police leadership to an, a, a, an outside but adjacent organization yeah. saying, hey, this is, you know, let's talk about this, these data points. Yeah. I mean, I think it's sort of, it's set up to be uh, uncomfortable, right? Okay. You know, I've never been a police officer. It's an sure. incredibly hard job. I don't sure. think anyone would think I should do that job. <laughs> um, and and to, you know, sit and pass judgment is, is you know, it's, it's yeah. set up to be potentially antagonistic, potentially uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, luckily... You know, I've been here, I've been doing this job since 2010. Okay. I've got relationships with a lot of the folks over at EPD. Um, the command staff and especially the chief, you know, they, they know who I am. Mm -hmm. They know what work I do. Um, and so I've been able to establish that credibility and those, um, be able to have those tough conversations. That And sometimes they're not so tough. You know, sure, sometimes sure, we sure, are sure. all in agreement that, sure. you know, XYZ was was clearly not okay and how okay. do we change this behavior, right? Um, most of the time actually we're in agreement. So okay. I'm I'm quite lucky to work with um the the folks in charge at EPD. I think they are, you know, they they know that we're here, they know we're not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. Sure. <laughs> and and we can we can have those conversations and, and really talk through things even when we disagree and um and I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate to feel that most, you know, I feel heard. I feel like we understand each other. Mm -hmm. um, and that is that is pretty unusual in this yeah. field, honestly. Okay. Um, technology permeates absolutely everything in our in, yeah. in our lives. And I'm thinking for your role and then the role of, of police, there's sort of two points of view of technology I want to talk about and how it how it lends itself towards this idea of reform. And that, of course, is we've talked a little bit about this body worn cameras sure. that the police have so that they they basically can say, yes, here's the interaction. You can see it. But of course, we as civilians, the the vast majority of us now have our own yeah. quote unquote body worn cameras, which is our cell phones and and being able to take images and, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Maybe just talk a little bit about you, you talked about you watch more video than probably anybody <laughs> else. But I mean, yeah. that's a pretty important part of this whole process, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I. I'm so grateful to have been in this field for long enough that I can see what it was like before we had consistent video okay. and how it's improved now. Um, I I think that we are so much better able to actually determine what happened um, rather than just sort of getting the most, the closest picture we can, right? Sure. Um, so we encourage folks, if, if they're recording, you know, they, they have protected rights about recording interactions with police. Um, and if they have recordings or photos or anything like that, they can submit them to us as part of their complaint. Okay. Um, as much as I love body-worn video, it only shows one point of view. Right? Sure, and it sure. actually, it's oddly enough, like I don't think about this until I watch the videos, but it doesn't show the officer's face, right? Mm. You don't get to see you know, sort of so much of that communication is from the face, right? And we yeah. don't get that. So um, actually, we instituted an online complaint portal last year okay. um, that people can submit video and photo through that portal. Um, anonymous complaints, you know, regardless of what, how much they want to give us, they can, they can submit those videos and we can then take a look at that incident. Yeah, yeah. Um this might be my last question. I'm thinking sort of about the the overall guise of police reform. And I'm thinking, you know, in so many aspects of life, sometimes, you know, 
putting the resources and education at the very beginning can can bear tremendous fruit later on. And I'm wondering, in terms of the, the guise of police reform, and again, it's a kind of a philosophical question for you, but how much of reform should be baked into the training of new recruits yeah. so that it, it may not have to have, be a situation where you're involved saying, oh, you did something wrong because maybe you could have learned to avoid that in, in the first place. Yeah, no, that's a really, really good question. That comes up a lot because okay. um, there are uh, not a lot because there's not that many complaints. Sure. But, um, but no, there's often I'll be looking at an investigation and just think, you know, this is a training issue. Mm. This, you know, this officer may not have known that what they were doing was potentially a constitutional rights violation. Sure. You know, I mean, constitutional rights are hard and practice. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, so often this comes up of, of, you know, if this is a training issue, then is it fair to hold this officer accountable for it? You know, and so there, there's this sort of constant tension between accountability for the officer and sort of for the department and training, right? Um, so we're really fortunate, again, with EPD, we've been invited mm-hmm. to present at uh, new officer trainings, at new supervisor trainings. So we talk about our job and what we do and sort of the complaint process, but that's also an opportunity to talk about our philosophy, right? And what community, what this community values in policing and in our police officers. So we can do that sort of introductory level of, of communication, really. Yeah. Um, I'm excited. I, I think that's a really ripe area for us to collaborate more um, in the future. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to ways that we can figure out how to integrate community values and training. Um, and to the extent that our office is part of that or not, I just, you know, my, my focus is really on the outcomes, not how much of a part I play in it. Good enough. Good enough. Well, Leah Pitcher, who is the uh, Eugene's police auditor, thanks so much for for coming in and talking to us. Thank you, as always, for inviting me. I appreciate it. That's the show for today. It's hard to be a cop. You often have to deal with people when they're at their very worst. Yet, it's a special job that comes with a tremendous amount of responsibility. Do it wrong, and the consequences can be enormous. Do it right, and you help make your community safe, and by constantly refining and reforming the job, the hope is that the cops get it right way more often than not. I want to thank Eugene Police Chief Chris Skinner and Eugene Police Auditor Leah Pitcher for coming on and talking with us. This show, along with all episodes of Oregon on the Record, is available at klcc.org. I'm Michael Dunn, and this has been Oregon on the Record. Thanks for listening.